Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Gary Kemp. That's right, Gary Kemp of Spandau Ballet. And it's a wonderful chat. Uh, Gary's also a podcaster, which we touch upon, um, I believe, at the beginning of this episode. And, and he makes my job so easy. He's a wonderful talker and talks with such passion about music. So this was a, a, a dream episode and uh, you're in for a treat, trust me. Um, before we get on with that episode, a few thank yous. So I'd like to thank Scroobius Pip and everybody at uh, the Distraction Pieces Network. I'd like to thank Robert Sony for helping facilitate this. I'd like to thank 76 for producing this podcast and I'd like to say a big thank you to you lovely lot for listening and supporting this podcast uh, which you've done now for a few years and it's been wonderful to especially throughout lockdown that the fact that you've supported and listened and shared and retweeted and told your pals it's been it's been great and it's been a real lifeline uh, for me during lockdown whilst my my you know my venue's been shut to to be able to connect with some amazingly beautiful creative people and 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 have some wonderful chats with them and the fact that i get to share them conversations and you know if you get a fraction of the joy uh from listening as i do uh recording them then yeah everyone's a winner so thank you um okay well if you'd like to support the podcast as i mentioned just then we're on all the socials so give us a, a a like and a love and a share and and also i have a patreon and so if you want to support the podcast there, then then feel free to do so. I'm aware it's it's been a tough year and, and, and times are tough, so no pressure there. But if you do, head over to patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track. Then you'll find that for as little as 79p a month, you can get access to a back catalogue of, of, of 200 or so episodes that have never been released to the, the public. I put up lots of video episodes as well. And yeah, they're just bundles of stuff. So that's all over on the Patreon, should you wish to support the podcast there. I know why you're here, and it's not for this kind of waffle. You want the proper the proper chat. And, uh, and so, yeah, it gives me great pleasure to say, please enjoy Off The Beat and Track podcast with Gary Kemp. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar, 
from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The cacao bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out, www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us, to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Joining me today via the means of Zoom, Gary Kemp. Hello. Uh, hi, hi, Stu. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Thank you, mate. On the other end of a podcast this time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's. I mean, let's talk about that before we do anything else. So, how did you find yourself in the realms of, of podcasting? Uh, well, the story I tell is that, you know, Guy Pratt and I, who, you know, Guy plays bass in uh, uh, Nick Ronson's... Um, God, let me start again. <laughs> Told you I'd just come from the gym. <laughs> Let's start again. Oh, brilliant. That was me saying what the hoople wanted to put Mick Ronson in your head. <clears throat> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, okay, start again. Okay, we are recording. Joining me today via the means of Zoom, Gary Kemp. Good morning. Morning, Stu. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm all right. So I'm talking not only to uh, a songwriter, which is always a joy on this podcast, but um, I'm talking to a fellow music podcaster as well. So before we get on to anything else, how did that come about, Gary? Well, um, Guy Pratt and I, I mean, I've told this story before, but it's, it is true. You know, we think we're the funniest guys on earth, you know. So touring with Nick Mason, Sourceful of Secrets, you know, we're the funniest guys on the bus, always cracking jokes with each other. You know, in the old days, someone would have said, get a room. Now they just say, get a podcast. So, <laughs> and, uh, and um, you know, we interview other, uh, we sort of started off gently before lockdown, put a few in the bag when Nick Mason was the first. And then, um, and then as lockdown happened, you know, we found it was easier to, to get a hold of people over zoom. Mm. And it's been great. You know, we're fanboys in the end We're fans of, all music. I'm a, as you might tell from this list I've I've made up for you. Let me open the door to my dog who's growling to get out. <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> it's real life, isn't it? On Zoom. <laughs> absolutely, um, absolutely. Is is you know we're fanboys. We love music. My collection is you know you'll you'll see. Uh, today is is hugely eclectic i grew up in the 70s bouncing around between all kinds of music mm. you know i'd have you know i'd have bowie obviously and, and mark bolan and i'd have rory gallagher i'd have stevie marriott i'd have genesis i'd have yes you know i'd have groundhogs well maybe not groundhogs uh and um and so all of this is 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 all stuff grist for the mill for a po podcaster like myself talking to all different genres if you like within rock music and uh and i'm loving it it's great it's just a really great to have people on and talk to them about you know about their lives and music 
Absolutely. And I, I don't know if it's been the case for you, but certainly for me during lockdown, um, it's been a real nice opportunity to to connect with people and and because that's obviously one of the fundamentals that we've been starved of over the last sort of year is that kind of being able to to hang out with people and yes at first it, it for me it felt strange over zoom but hearing like getting to speak to creatives and talking about their journeys and how they put things together fires me up and it, it, it's been a real lifeline I think to kind of keep my head where I want it to be throughout this 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 whole sort of last year so with that in mind before we start talking about your, your your song choices, Gary. Have you found the last sort of twelve months? I mean, for for for, for the listener, we're recording this at the, the tail end of April twenty one. Um, have you found it both as as a husband and a father, and and also as a as a creative? Well, it's a mixed bag. Um, like I think it is for everyone. I mean, uh, luckily none of us were affected by the disease. Um, we sort of you know, had the opportunity to hide away a bit in the country. Um, and, but being thrown together with your family, I mean, you realise why schools were invented. They were, you know, because kids aren't meant to be with their parents non-stop <laughs> when they're that age. You know, they need a break. They needed a break from us. We needed a break from them. And they certainly needed a break from each other because they were fighting all the time. I've got three boys. Um, so there's a lot of that going on, kind of working out the balance of life as, as a family. Um, but I took it as an opportunity because... Uh, I was meant to be on tour and then the tour got cancelled and I'd already started work on a bunch of songs and I was already keen to sort of finish them at some point. And I think I was sort of aiming at some point in the future, you know, but this was now a, a moment when I could really get it done. And I got in touch with uh, some drummers and bass players that I needed and we worked remotely on a record. So, and, and it, it just gave me, um, you know, there was no excuse, you know, I'd have, an afternoon when the kids were settled and then I'd go into my studio and, and I'd start to work on tracks. And then I'd work with a guy called Toby Chapman, who's my co-producer on this album. And we were going backwards and forwards. And um, so there is this idea that actually I was finding myself able to contact more people because people were less busy. And, uh, and, and I think creatives of any kind uh, are, are used to forces of opposition coming in their way. And they just step to the left or step to the right, you know, to quote Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> or is that turn? That's turn to the left. That is it? turn, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess um, looking through the, the, the songs that you've, you, you've sent over today, the, the influence of Bowie, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty prevalent. Um, and I'm sure it's going to feature heavily in this, in this chat today. Um, and so... I guess let's get uh, the, the playlist started. So I'm going to ask you, please, Gary, for the song with the greatest ever intro, please. You, you know, this is also one of the shortest intros, funnily mm. enough. Although intros now are out of fashion, right? Yeah, apparently, they're out of fashion. Although, I think with my latest single, Ahead of the Game, I think I've got a pretty cool intro there, and it's quite long. But the reason I did hear a programme about this, and I've spoken to some songwriters who are, you know, adamant about this now is that you forget about intros you go straight to the chorus because that's how you get on tiktok what a world are we living in you know people are writing for tiktok um you've preempted my question gary like i always ask guests and i can never quite phrase the question right i've tried it about 280 times now and i still can't frame it right 
about that influence of how there is not allowed to be any fat on the bone anymore. It's like straight in with a chorus. And, and I've always wondered, like, and I'd normally ask guests, like, how has that affected your songwriting process? Because it was, it was Martin Ware, I think I spoke to um, about this. And he was saying that, no, it was Andy McCluskey. And he was saying, like, nowadays, if the vocal doesn't come in by X amount of time, you don't get mainstream radio. And so he was saying, like, Enola Gay would not get on the radio now and things like that. And I just wonder, because, you know, to, 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 to use Spandau as a, as, a, as a great example, like, gold, like, the intro there is, is so long before the payoff comes in. And yeah. it's like, you yeah, know, yeah. And I just well, find it really strange that it's now gone down to I, literally TikTok. Well, it has, yeah, but... Um... You know, Ahead of the Game has got a long intro. Uh, it's got that guitar solo. I don't know whether you know the track. Mm. You've heard it yet. But it's melodic. And I think if you're hitting people with melodies straight away, that's what counts. What, what's not good is, is f- kind of what we call in uh, as a musician, you know, which is feel. Just a little bit of feel. You know, just playing around on some chords, you know. That's not interesting to anybody. And the, the intro that I picked is so melodic. In fact, it's probably one of the most melodic parts of the entire song. It starts with a melody on a guitar. Not dissimilar in that sense. It's pretty short. It's all the young dudes, right? So so this beautiful sound that Mick Ralphs gets on his guitar, which you can hear is a Les Paul. You know, you can hear the plectrum scraping against the strings with the descending chords that go on in the background. Then the bend. And a bit more. And you're into the song. Yeah. And... Um, there's, 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 it's been described as, as the chimes of youth, which I love, right? Because it is bell-like. Yeah. It's, it's like a heraldic uh, moment of welcome, welcoming the gladiators into the arena. You know, you can imagine the, the, the heralds coming out with their trumpets and doing this. In actual fact, it's really Barkian. It's, it's the same chords, pretty much, as as what became Air on a G String, which was an adaptation of, of, of Bach's, one of Bach's orchestral pieces, mm-hmm. with that descending chord, bum, 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 bum. So we, we know that in the West as being really a spiritual, um, almost church-like, religious sort of um, piece of music. And so it's anthemic. Within a few bars, you know you're listening to an anthem. Yeah. And this is an anthem of youth. So it, it set me up as a kid. It was like this was, this was, this was um, a blast on a mo- on the, uh, uh, from someone beautiful on a, on a, on a wasteland. Because that's the kind of place I lived. I lived on, in my mind, I'm living on a wasteland. And yet this, this, this sort of heraldic blast comes in. And I think that sets up the lyric of, of ordinary heroic kids, which is what, you know, the song's about. You know, it goes through a list of these wonderful characters that you know live in your area, that listen to T-Rex, you know, that are part of your scene. 
and you know that have spots on their faces but are somehow greater than ordinary and uh, and i don't think there's a better intro in rock music that that um than all the young dudes. I mean, you know it's Mick Ronson who's kind of originally, you know, he's based his sound on mixed guitar playing, mixed guitar playing, exquisite guitar playing. Still the biggest influence on me. I mean, the way, you know, Mick is scraping both Micks, Mick Ronson or Mick Rouse, you know, scraping that guitar with their plectrum. I do that today. It's what I do. I'd always do that. And it's, it, there's a sense of yearning in that guitar. There's a sense, there's, there's heartache in that guitar. It's hugely strident. And, um, and uh, can I go on about this anymore? I don't think I can. I think I've exhausted all the imagery that surrounds four bars. Oh, it's a glorious, glorious song. And, and, and we haven't even touched on, on the vocal. The vocal is just incredible as well. I um, I stumbled across the Freddie Mercury tribute show. It was on one of the the, 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 the Sky channels the other day, and and I left it on. And uh, um, um, Bowie had done uh, Under Pressure with Annie Lennox. Then um, it, it's in Hunter, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And yeah. he comes out, and they just. Oh, it's, his well, voice is ridiculous. I, I, Mick Ronson plays the yes. opening. Yeah, and you know, it's it's very bittersweet because Mick's not. It's not long before Mick died. I think it's his last performance. And I hate to say this, but he hits a bummer on that opening intro. No way. Uh, it doesn't sit well. You know, it's big pressure, that. Big, big pressure. Um, we actually did it at Spandau Ballet once. We did it in uh, somewhere. It's on the internet. You can you can find it, um, us lot doing it. And um, it's it's a song, of, you know, it's, it's a song that, you know, sits kind of, it's very Bowie. It's very of that period. You know, he offered he offered Mott the Hoop or Suffragette City originally. Really? That, I did not know that. that. Was, and they turned that down. And, uh, of course, Suffragette City ended up on, on the Ziggy. Well, maybe it was already on Ziggy Stardust and he was just offering it to them as well. Um, because because Mott had, had not had a very successful few years and it looked like they were about to split up. And I think Bowie had an affection f- for Ian. You know, Ian wrote one of the, the greatest rock books, autobiographies ever, which is, you know, Diary of a Rock and Roll Star, which is um, still available on paperback, you know, which is, you know, about their tour to Europe, to America. Um, and and so uh, he, 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 gave him, he gave them this song. I think the follow-up, he offered them a follow-up as well, which was Drive-In Saturday, which they, they again didn't take. But, you know, they had a bunch of their own good songs by then, Roll Away the Stone, etc. But but this came out, this was written at a period of, you know, Clockwork Orange was out, you know. Yeah. that was So that whole droogs and stuff and all of those, you know, sense it's it you 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 the imagery in this song is all about you know housing estates and the various characters that are living inside the housing estates and uh um and not all good things you know the opening line you know is, is a guy considering suicide yeah you know um i would get that on the radio today <laughs> <laughs> you know people people are People talk about how everyone's so much more open. Actually, it's much harder to get tracks played now. People are very much more sensitive now. Yeah, sure. So, um, 
But no, I I, I had a, a brief sort of, I think Ian had a decadence in his voice that Bowie liked. And I, I don't know which came first. I think there was an element of, I think both of them were probably interested in the East Coast, what was going on over there in, in New York and factory and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but, um, you know, uh, you know, Hoop will never really match this one after that, I don't think. You know, Roll Away the Stone was good and, you know, on Lucy Boogie and... But anyway, you know, I'd take, that in, I'd take that intro with me. You know, if that was the last piece of music I ever heard, you know, that it may well be that intro. Uh, I saw them play live about 10 years ago at the O2 and they got back together. And, uh, you know, it's not the easiest guitar player to play that, funnily enough. And I think, and Mick Ralphs didn't, I think he had a bit of a sloppy job on that uh, that night because because you know it's so well it's got to be done so perfectly and if it isn't you kind of get upset about it because yeah. it's only it's got it's gone in a second. Well, I'm going to ask you for track two, Gary. I'm going to take you back now and ask you for the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Well, you know, it's uh, it depends what you mean by an emotional impact, of course. So. I was talking about this the other day, actually, to my brother. The, um, um, the first song I ever got a kiss to, which isn't really an emotional impact, but it was certainly, you know. It's special. impactful. And it's not the one I'm going to choose. Was uh, Betcha by Golly Wow by um, Stylistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's always, that's all, every time I hear that, even today, you know, <laughs> years later, you know. 40 odd years later i'm still like mm, yeah i can't remember who it was <laughs> but um but emotionally well i mean all songs hit you emotionally don't they it's it's a hard one this but what so so you know it could be the intro and the beginning of uh of um metal guru you know which i thought was just you know a powerful piece of music but emotionally i am going to choose a song from the faces and that album, which I think is so brilliant, which is a nods as good as a wink. And it's the Ronnie Lane song, Debris. And the reason I choose that is, I mean, I bought that album very early on. It was one of the first albums I ever bought. And I bought albums in two different ways. I worked as a greengrocer on a Saturday and I did some evenings as well. Um, just around the corner from where I lived, you know, I'd go and help out the greengrocer there. So, you know, I'd get a few shillings and whatever it was then, I think new money was in and, and that I could save up to buy records. I'd also beg my mum. I remember they were about one ninety nine to buy an album in those days, you know, so, and she was often, you know, scrapes around in her purse and found something for me, but a nod's as good as the wink. I don't know why I chose that. I, well, I do actually. Maggie May, yeah, Maggie May was really happening. And Stay with Me was happening, and I really loved the the whole look of the band. I loved the way they kicked footballs around on stage on top of the pops. Mm-hmm. I just thought they had a real vibe of being in a gang. I just loved the music of Stay with Me, and and I loved that album cover with the, with the little models of them on it. And um, but this track stood out for me. Oh, by by the by, the the album sleeve had a poster that came with it, and. I was a very sensitive boy. I didn't want to, want to upset my parents in any way or be embarrassed. Um, and, and when I opened up this poster, it was a bunch of little Polaroids or pictures or something of, of the faces backstage and in dressing rooms and, you know, at recording studios. And one of them, tiny weeny picture, had a topless woman in it. <laughs> of course it did. And, <laughs> uh, you know, 
But um, and so I destroyed the poster. No way! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or through fear that your mum might see the set of boobs on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I would be embarrassed, or she would be embarrassed, or it would be, it would be awful, and I'd die of you know I'd burn up. And uh, so I destroyed the poster. I put it in the bin. Anyway, this song stands out. It's not Rod's voice, is it? It's Ronnie's voice. Mm. It's got a very London sounding voice. He sings about a Sunday morning market. Oh, wow. Someone's singing about something I know. I met you on the, on the debris at the Sunday morning market, you know, and it was, um, you were looking for a bargain. You know, we used to go to the market every Sunday morning with my mum, you know, we used to go to Chapel Market in Islington and look around, see what we could buy. You know, there'd be a pie mash shop down there. Um, during the, on a Friday, we had pie mash. Uh, it was one called Manzi's. It's not there anymore. I mean, the market had a frit, apple fritters store. I did, I did hear a story once that the guy who ran the apple fritters store, and uh, the hot fat that he made the fritters in, at the bottom was a load of sovereign rings that he would sell. You know, you could fish one out and dodgy, <laughs> bent. But I don't know whether that was true. Um, but And then they'd have a sarsaparilla store that's selling, you know, those that that wonderful cordial juice you could get hot sarsaparilla and apple fritter and you wouldn't have a pie mash as well unless you were really greedy but it was a sunday morning market my dad also used to take me down to brick lane club row and you know in those days you could see all the animals there'd be dogs in boxes you'd be literally you'd look in a box and there'd be a load of puppies in stuck at the bottom and you could choose them or you could choose a canary or a parrot or a you know a snake a monkey I mean, it was mad because um, none of that's allowed now, quite mm. rightly. But I knew this—I knew this life he was singing about, and he was singing about it in such an emotional way. I thought you were my hero, you know. It was—it's—it's it's a very moving set of chords, and it's sung in a plaintive way by Ronnie. But it was about my life, I felt. It was about people who knew my streets, who knew my world. It wasn't American rock and roll. It wasn't Memphis, you know. It's, this, was, this could be my street. And, and it really touched me emotionally, and it still does today. I put that track on, and it, now, of course, in those days, it was about the moment I lived in. Now it's nostalgic, you know, now it's about my, you know, in my head, it's, it's my mum. I can picture her in a long coat with the holes in her pockets that uh, she always had. I knew it had holes in her pockets because I looked in her coat pocket one day when she, it was hanging out, hanging up. I think I was probably looking for some pennies to go and buy some sweets and there was, there were holes in both sides and she was, we were quite poor. I remember seeing my mum cry once because she couldn't afford to buy me a pair of shoes and my 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 they they'd got too small for me um so i think that this song has has uh, has a lot of resonance with my own life um but but set in a you know but with wonderful players you know and and it and it stands out on this album you listen to this album which is great rock and roll very kind of american slide guitars bottlenecks um and then suddenly this this london piece of london reportage Listen up, I've only got another new sponsor, Egg Fried. It's this super cool clothing label and 
if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and, and the designer's kind of weird sense of humour in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this, they have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all supporting the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D, save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, they've got a new kids range, and it's called Small Fried, and it's super cool, super cute. Um, And again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at eggfried.com. I'm going to stay in the formative years. Sorry, mate. I do talk a lot. I'm really apologising now. <laughs> it's, it's it's beautiful to 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 like. I always like to ask guests like if they shut their eyes and heard that song now, what would they picture? And you you you've done it perfectly. Right. So it's, uh, you're making you're a podcast. You're making my job very easy today, Gary. This is lovely. <laughs> um, for track three, uh, remaining in those formative years, uh, a song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Well, you know, I mean, I could have picked so many because, you know, people used to walk around in what we call the quad, right, which is, I better describe what school I went to. So I went to a school called Dame Alice Owens, and it was in Islington. It had been in Islington since 1613, right? So it's, it, was a, it, was, um, <clears throat> it was set up by this woman um, for poorer kids, and it became a grammar school. And and I got into this grammar school, and of course, when you go, you know, I was at a I was at a local uh, school before then, my primary school, um, and I only ever met working class kids my, all my life. And then suddenly, I'm at a grammar school, and I'm meeting middle class kids, and I'm going to their house. Maybe one of the you know, someone invited me to their house. I see books on the shelf. We didn't have books. We went to the library, you know. I, I see people reading big newspapers that look, you know, rather posh and discussing theatre. Um, I went to this person's house uh, called uh, Jay Landersman, who was a counterculturalist. I got got in there via these 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 other this uh, the, the, his son Miles, and we went uh, one day to have uh, a jam on guitars. I, was, I must have been about twelve, I guess. And, uh, and keyboards and they were a little bit older than me and um, and this isn't the song I'm choosing but one, but 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 we actually ended up playing um, Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun Pink Floyd uh, for hours and hours on our guitars and keyboards which is, which is funny really because that's the song I play now with Nick Mason one of them and um, but in, in the quad in our playground so you'd have kids and they'd walk around with with their vinyl sleeves as like little flags right so this was like a flag on a boat this was saying we i am the groundhogs i am rory gallagher you know i you know this is our tribe this is your tribe and i guess the working class kids tended to be at that point bowie and and t-rex and Rod Stewart and the faces. So they'd be into all of that. They'd be wearing clothes as much as they can. They could twist their, you know, do whatever they can to twist their school uniforms round into looking something like like that, maybe a tartan scarf or something. Um, 
And then sort of on the other side of the, metaphorically on the other side of the quad, there'd be kids with uh, Genesis albums and Yes albums and ELP albums. And I was a very aspirational kid culturally. And, and I was really intrigued by that kind of music. To me, that represented something more difficult musically. And I got in with a guy called um, uh, Jess Bailey, who was a keyboard player. And he was a bit older than me and hung out with some sort of hippie people that worked in a music shop in Islington. Anyway, he was into Genesis. And, um, and I ended up by, uh, buying Foxtrot or listening to Foxtrot. Foxtrot came into my life, this, this really complex, what we call prog rock album now with Peter Gabriel at front, Phil Collins on drums, Mike Rutherford, Tony Banks, <clears throat> Steve Hackett. Um, and I bought this album and, and I, what I loved about it was that the, 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 the complexity was closer, closer to classical music. So if you I think prog rock comes out of middle-class kids wanting to play rock and roll, but feeling rock and roll was a bit too oiky and a bit too folky um, in the kind of, popular sense and but embracing a kind of rock classical so going for different time signatures quirky stuff foxtrot for me um which is a 28 minute track or something yeah. it's all of side two of of, of, of sorry supper's ready i'm talking about mm. supper's ready which is all of side two of foxtrot supper's ready is my track by the way yeah <laughs> i've already said that is um you know was a you know, it's a common word to use, but it was a journey in music. Yeah. It, it it took me somewhere that um, I'd never ever been before musically. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com Acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm going to take a break in case you want to ask me a question. <laughs> oh, I'm always interested as to um, how I guess, especially sort of people you said you was, you know, culturally sort of aspirational. Like, how did you, how did you find school? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I, I did. I did enjoy school. Um, I, I liked learning. I liked English. Got me, gave me an opportunity to form bands, to play music, um, to do drama. Um, I was really creative in the school. You know, I was, you know, me and a mate put together a Pinter production once. Um, you know, I was, I, I had, you know, I was all often, you know, lunchtime, go and see Gary Kemp play his guitar on stage with, you know, <laughs> I was always doing something, you know. Wish you, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you've gone on to play to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people on, on the biggest stages on the planet. Was you confident then? Um, no, I've always been, even now, you know, I'm 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 very very hugely nervous of performance, but um, but there's a choice in life, isn't there? You you either say I'm so nervous I can't do it, and that's it. You don't do it, or you say I'm really really nervous, but you know what? I'm just going to force myself into this situation, mm. and it's going to be worth it in the end because I'm going to be happy for a few minutes on stage, and when I've got over my nerves and I'm feeling good. But afterwards, I'm going to be euphoric and it might, you know, it'll just give me something in life that isn't normal or isn't usual. Um, so I've always battled against my fear and self-doubt and the voice on my shoulder. You know, sorry, there's been a terrible mistake. Could you leave the building? <laughs> um, so, um, but but um, just, just to kind of talk a bit more about Supper's Ready, if you don't mind. Of course. Uh, and why I love this track so much. And what it does represent it. So it represents me, you know, obviously formative years. It represents me reaching for something a bit more difficult, culturally aspirational, but also it, it I, what I remember is it was, it, it's almost religious in its uh, construction. So there's, 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 there's soulful moments. There's difficult moments of, of, of what you can only consider to be classical. It begins with an ordinary moment of someone crossing the living room to turn the television off. And it ends with the word Jerusalem. It ends on some higher plane. It ends, it's take, it goes from, from mundane reality to, to something that is like an 18th century painting of heaven. It has moments in there that is that, that the music is very hymn-like, and I really touched me emotionally. I didn't go to church. I don't believe, but you need something, don't you, as a kid, to uh, to to push you into a higher level. And you can hear my dog. Yeah, sorry, in the background, and um, to push you into a higher plane. And I think I could lie on the floor and listen to this song, and I would be going somewhere. Um, meditatively meditatively that was beyond anything in my my reality i um and and it i just think that it still works for me today i still listen to that today i'm taken back to 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 those moments of um of trying to 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 learn a different musical language to the one that you know maybe was conventional and and 
there's so much richness in there it's a tapestry it's rich and dense and and you can you're you know you're finding new bits all the time um it's a it's a a real gold mine of 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 gorgeous pieces of music that hardly ever repeat themselves um so not the kind of music i ended up making <laughs> well, but there's there's going to be something when when we get on to to to, to club land uh then then there's something i want to ask you about regarding that that kind of sort of uh, the, the prog influence, but um, just before we move on to track four, whilst we're just discussing school, did you know what you wanted to be when you was at school? Okay, so so I went to a drama club as well, uh, Anna Scher's uh, club for children. You know, it was after school, and I was getting quite a few TV and film roles. I did a, I had six weeks off of school in my first. Um, the first time I went to my senior school, I immediately took six weeks off uh, to shoot a film, which was for uh, Saturday morning pictures for the Children's Film Foundation. And I had the lead in that. And it got a, it was the 21st anniversary of the Children's Film Foundation. It got a royal premiere and the Duchess of Kent turned up and Film 72 turned up to interview me, right? So I'm on Film 72 in, 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 this is in 1972. And they said, do you want to be an actor when you grow up? And I said, no, I want to be a journalist. Um, and I said that because my dad, who was a printer, had always said, if he didn't have to leave school at 15 to help his mum and dad out uh, and become a printer, he would have loved to have been a journalist. Yeah. And I felt I was sort of saying it because that's what he wanted to be. So it was my right to try and do that. But as I, and then, and then, Acting never really came into my mind. I was really into music, really into music. And at 16, I went to Anna and I said, I don't want to do any more acting now because if I do, I'm, I need to concentrate on music. That's what I need to do now. And so I, I wanted to be a musician really early on. I wanted to be in a band from about, uh, professionally, from about 1976, probably when I saw the Sex Pistols around that whole period and we first started forming Spandau Ballet. That was it, you know? And I sort of threw, threw my A-levels away because... You know, I remember my economics teacher saying, you know, you've got to have something to fall back on. You're not going to be a famous pop star. And, and, and then my brother, who was a, was working in a uh, factory as a printer, because he left school with like one O level. And um, then then when he left to sort of concentrate on Spandau Ballet before we were signed, before we were even called Spandau Ballet, my dad actually wrote a letter to his boss saying, my son wants to leave to be a pop star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Uh, Yes, I knew I wanted to be in music for a long time, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, the last one, I guess, from the, the sort of uh, the, the, the early years, uh, Gary, I'm going to ask you for the first song you remember buying from a record shop, please. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's easy, right? Because it was Ape Man by the Kinks. Um, and I, I, but the, so how this happened was, you know, my brother and I both worked in this greengrocer's, so we we did have money. We had, we did, we did a paper round as well. I think it was, you know, my dad Ed, was really big on us working on Saturdays and giving a third of the money we earned to my mum for our keeping, housekeeping. So I remember only one pound fifty and giving fifty p to my mum, and I think it was quite, you know, hey, my kids don't work on a Saturday, but I think my dad had an ethic that he wanted to try and instill in me, and. um Anyway, we, we'd saved up a bit of money to buy a record. And, and I, it wasn't like, I think we'd watched a few Top of the Pops, maybe. I don't remember. This is definitely pre-T-Rex. This is definitely before I fell in love with, with you know, with Mark. And I remember just, 
going, um, we dressed up to go. My dad had bought me, I, I, Budgie had been on, I think. Sometimes I get my timelines mixed up. But I know I'd got my dad to take me to Club Row Market. And he took me to a tailor's because I wanted a pair of two-tone trousers, right? And uh, and he got this tailor in Club Row. To, to, I remember going in there. It was the funniest place ever. His bloke was like a mole. And it was this dark little place with his big scissors and his, and his, his thick glasses. And uh, and I picked the material. It was like a, bl- um, like a, a blue and green tonic mohair. And, uh, and he, we made these trousers. And then I'd beg my mum for a pair of um salatio shoes right sort of like a brogue i think shoes and uh, so i wanted to be like a little suede head and um and i had blakey's on my shoes and so did my brother he had blakey's so there we are clip clopping down essex road <laughs> but couple of geezers i think i was i must have been 11 and my brother was nine. Oh, wonderful and uh and we go to Cross Street, which is up near the Angel. It runs between Upper Street and Essex Road. And there was a, sh- a sh- uh, the record shop there. I've forgotten what it's called. I thought it was called Pop In, but then my brother told me a few years ago that that was the one in Chapel Market. But um, and we literally didn't know what to buy, so we were just looking through the the sleeves and 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 asking him if he would put things on. Uh, remember this guy there long hair and um my brother picked tremolos me and my life she's quite a cool record actually mm. um had a nice sort of slap back on the vocal bit bit beatlesy and i think the reason i picked eight man at first because i really loved the sky blue pie label i thought that was really cool and uh love the color of that sky blue's always been my favorite color in fact you know growing up man city were my favorite sabutio team even though i supported <laughs> art uh and um and uh anyway i think i asked him to put it on anyway and i took that home and you know it's it's ray davis it's the kinks it's a bit of a weird record i'm not mm. quite sure what's going on in it i'm an ape man he's kind of singing it in some weird sort of <laughs> sounds like caribbean accent i'm not sure what what the it's a, it's not their best work but it's my first single okay well for track five i'm going to ask you about the song that soundtracked your years in clubland um and i've just got uh, i run a, a a club in essex gary um called the pink toothbrush and before it was called that it was called crocs and crocs yeah. was was you know quite a, a a place to be and so i'm very very obsessed with that because that's my club and the, the well, history there didn't depeche mode start yes down yeah, there yeah uh, Coach right. Club played their first show there as well. I went there. Yeah, in Rayleigh, in Essex. <laughs> that's uh, that's my little uh, that's my club. Yeah. Now, hang on, because I think I, we we went there. I'm right to say Depeche played there, didn't? Uh, Loads. Didn't I? Yeah. That's right. So so that's where we went. We went to Crocs because I mean it was a soul club as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Before then, um, but we went down like kings right so we'd just been on top of the pops with cut long story short and then we I don't, do you remember steve-o i think he was a, a, a he was yeah, one of the managers at the time and i and, and alison moye was down there i mm-hmm. think was i think i might have got that right and anyway we went on a sort of oh let's go down to crocs and judge the competition you know <laughs> and, uh, and uh and pesh were playing that night yeah yeah i think it's even before they were signed mm. um and uh, and Steve Dagger walked in, who's our manager, and Steve O, I think, was managing them. Yeah, 
yeah, I, you know, people will correct me. I know they will. Um, he went on his, I remember he fell on his knees in front of Steve Dagger. Steve Dagger. So, you know, he's like, what he saw for him, he was like the greatest manager alive. You know, this is like Brian, Ep- meeting Brian Epstein, if you were Andrew Lou Golden, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, so, yeah, so club music is, is club music's a weird choice because I have different types of clubs. You know, they're the clubs I went to in the late sort of like 77, you know, where I'd go to the Lyceum or I'd go to Crackers. Uh, Crackers was on Wardour Street and it had a lunchtime, Friday lunchtime disco. And you'd go, you'd go there uh, from school. You'd, you'd literally jump on the bus at school, go down to Wardour, because I was just down the road at my school in Islington, get off, dance, have a Coca-Cola, go back to school. I mean, extraordinary, but you'd do that. You know, you'd maybe dance for like... 25 minutes, you yeah. go back. And uh, and so um, there's that kind of scene, you know, which would have, you know, definitely American 12 inches, you know. Um, you'd go, you know, you'd, 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 there was this little record shop on Hamway Street. I forgot what it was called now. Contempo. And, you know, people were on Saturday. Hey, not me, because I'm doing the greengrocer's job, right? <laughs> but uh, pe- people would go down and like hang outside, and they'd be playing the imports, the disco imports that was that were coming in from the states, you know, on the Casablanca label or whatever it might be. And and you know, they only they maybe only have two copies, you know, so people would like, I love that, I love that, you know, and running in and trying to get it in the queue, and you know, you just couldn't hear music any other way, yeah. you know, extraordinary, and it made music much more special, right? So, um, so there's that kind of disco American club thing, but I chose a diff- very different record for for my selection because um, the club that changed my life was obviously Billy's, which be- which which Steve Strange ran in in, um, uh, in Soho with Rusty Egan. You know, this young Welsh kid, Steve Strange, who'd, who'd uh, was kind of you know inventing the bazaar. You know. I guess Bowie was our big influence. You know, this story is quite famous. Anyone who's watched the Blitz documentaries and, you know. Which was wonderful. Really. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, actually. Um, but, um, uh, you know, we, it, I remember getting into this club. Uh, it was full of sort of, there was a lot of fashion students and then old soul boys and some sort of ex-punks. But everyone dressed up, everyone glamorous, you know, cheap dressed up, obviously. And... Um, and the first music I heard as I went down the stairs into Billy's was Craftwork, and it was the model. Mm. And it was slow. Wow. People can't dance to this, you know. I was used to 110 BPM or something. Yeah. And, but, and I saw these two guys dancing together, androgynous-looking guys, you know, holding hands, doing this kind of slow-motion jive thing, pulling them to one side, pulling them to the other side, spinning around. And it was exotic. It was, uh, it was, it was so good. It was, it was, it was almost akin to that moment when I saw Bowie do Starman on top of the pops. You know, this was life changing event, you know, everyone looking, you know, it was kind of had that sort of Weimar Republic thing, you know, Cabaret was a big movie at the time. And, uh, and, but this electronic pulse and lyrically, you know, She's a model and she's looking good, you know. This is what we all wanted to be, you know. It was, it was, it was uh, in praise of posturing, and of course, everyone knows, you know. I mean, I was always sort of cross with the enemy and Melody Maker because 
they d- were in complete denial of the whole soul boy movement that was had happened in the 70s mm. because to them it was too aspirational working class kids spending all their money on clothes not being political this isn't right so the only black music that they would get into was was reggae because that was that was cool because that was political and uh, mm-hmm. you know it was kind of black hippies that's that's cool but but black soul boys no one there was never a mention of those in any yeah. of the music press so um, so you know uh, I, I I I liked all these kids who were who were you know making the most of their lives you know trying to be theatrical larger than life and uh, and the song that's always forever for me, represents that moment in my time is Kraftwerk's The Model. And I mean, so much of that that early music that was coming out uh, of Blitz and that was obviously as, as a synthesizer, music was evolving rapidly. Could you draw, could you hear, just referencing back to the, the, the prog stuff, could you hear the kind of synth influences from some of that prog stuff? Could you hear that in what was happening there? Yeah, yeah, no, I suppose so. You're right, because there's like, you know, I mean, you can't really compare it, but it, but ELP and yeah. uh, Yes and, you know, these bands were using, and even, you know, the synthesizer had really permeated everywhere. I mean, you know, Stevie Wonder was using the synthesizer a lot. Um, I think what, what, what you didn't have was that combination of dance beat and synthesizer uh, along, you know, because dance, you know, four on the floor – stuff that we all loved before was was not really synth heavy it was at that point it was you know it was more the keyboards were a bit more you know roadsy or something or you know it was you know it was more you know it was guitar orientated bass guitar heavy uh real drums obviously and now suddenly you've got electronic drums that was the big difference yeah. i think and when when and back when rusty started playing this german music that was electronica that was that was a real that was a real difference you know um and i think it suited this idea that we were about to go into the 1980s you know this is a brand new decade and it was about to happen and and the future was here and uh, and uh, and there was a and also it was quite anti-american in a way you know it was it was you know we it was more culturally to do with europe than it was american so um but yeah, you know, I mean, all music, all music, you know, I can, I can see the, the lines that get drawn between all different music. And obviously someone like the, you know, the, the electronic bands like La Dusseldorf or Tangerine Dream or, you know, that's incredibly close to prog music. Sure. You know, and, um, you know, an ambient music and what Eno was doing. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, but you mix that up with a, with a, with a, with a groove and with some posturing like, craft work we're doing and, and you end up being able to play it in a club absolutely i'm going to take you home for track six and uh, i'm going to ask you to tell me uh, a favorite song from an artist from your home county please well this is really tough isn't it because i live in london <laughs> yeah. you know it's not like i'm living in durham and there's about <laughs> choice of three you know one um as much as i love durham um you know it's 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 kind of sport for choice when you're a londoner mm. aren't you you know, just talked about the kinks earlier. We talked about, um, you know, we can talk about the who, you know, because there could easily be a track from them, those guys. I mean, the Stones, I mean, it's kind of London, isn't it? Um, um, the, the Clash, um, you know, I have to say on that moment, just while I'm talking about the Clash, this is going to be controversial. 
I'd never go to play a Clash record. I'm not. A, it's, it, I find some of that. I really love 1977 when it came out and, and White Riot. I thought they were incredible that first album. But there's something happened to that band that that people love them. They were all Londoners. They were all West London band. But um, I always feel like I should be picking a Clash record, and then I. I stumble a bit and uh, and I don't know what, what that is. But anyway, I don't I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And so many people have come on here with an outpouring of adoration for like Strummer uh, and, and how pivotal that band was for them and, you know, career-spanning, you know, releases of... of, of I think they're good, but I, I don't get it to that level. Well, I, I think I had an issue with strummers uh, for a while, and but I do I love I love the so- when Mick sings. I really like mm. those songs. You know, I always think those songs are, are, are really cool. I really enjoy his work. And I saw the Clash; they knocked me out. I saw them supporting the Sex Pistols in '76, and it was the most extraordinary look I'd ever seen. You know, in the boiler suit splattered with paint. But there's just um, there was something about Strummer I didn't always buy, and I always felt he was a little bit. I don't know, maybe because he played in the 101ers before, you know, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm going to get slaughtered for this. I know I am. But um, we're all entitled to our... Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm on board with you. Yeah. So, so anyway, there are a lot of London bands. The Who, on the other hand, I could, you know, I could listen to endlessly, endlessly. Um, but there are a lot of London bands. So I instead, you know, I've got to look to Bowie, who made the London voice very, very important. And he made it important because, you know, there was a little history he was plugging into here. Obviously, there's Anthony Newley. We know that. The theatre of that. Theatre of Music Hall, you know, uh, that that Newley was looking at. You know, the London Cockney singer, Sid Barrett, you know, who was also enjoying singing in a more of a London accent. I think, you know, the, the Beatles help people embrace their own accents. Mm-hmm supposed to sing in an American and uh, I suppose there were lots of those people in those days Freddie and the Dreamers and you know um, but but I'm choosing Bowie because he's singing in this song is about London and it's about Soho and it's about the streets that I played on it's about people that I kind of knew uh, it's the London boys you know it's the, you know sings about Wardour Street yeah. you know this is this is where I go clubbing you know, it's, sings about taking pills in Soho. This is what I did. Yeah. You know, you can go the wrong way. I saw in our clubs, you know, hanging out in Soho, some people went, you know, like, didn't survive. Yeah. Uh, they didn't bounce out of it. You know, there was a bunch of people who did really well. You know, we all started, we were all taking drugs. We were all having a great time. We are all talking nine, you know, tens of the dozen or whatever it is, you know, and... Um, about how we were going to change the world, you know. Of course we were. and uh, But some of us went on and kind of did that culturally and um, in different ways, in film and fashion and music. But others got left behind and others got deeper into the drug thing and got destroyed. And this, this beautiful little theatrical piece that Bowie wrote all those years ago in the 60s, really, um, I don't think any song has ever summed up the uh, the pressure of uh, of young kid coming in and leaving home and you know trying to find danger and fun and exoticism and um, and himself or herself 
in the square mile of of those streets in in Soho. Um, it's a, it's a beautiful theatrical song. You know, Bowie goes from singing in that tiny little croaky voice that he sings. You know, bright lights, Wardour Street, into like where the London boys into his full throated anthemic voice that he uses now and again. And of course, that wonderful da 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 dee da da. It's the bells. Yeah. That's the bells of Bow. You know, this was that's what's ringing out in his voice. That's his ambition. Yeah, to be greater than than he is. And some people do make that, and David made it. Yeah, others don't, and that's why I love this song. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Perfect. So for your last song, Gary, you get to play Tastemaker. And I'm going to ask you, please, for a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear, please. Yeah, it's, it's by Scott Walker. It's called It's Raining Today. Um, I, I wish I knew more facts on it because, because what I really love about this, and I might actually look it up while I'm talking to you, because it's the string part is wonderful. I, I, this, this came into my life a couple of years ago, a few years ago, just heard it somewhere. Uh, Scott Walker's beautiful. Um, he's sort of, you know, he's slightly acquired taste. You know, he, you know, he has that, um, you know, he's a massive influence on Bowie you know, in, in that sort of voice that he has, that yeah. baritone voice and his storytelling. I mean, he started off doing really theatrical songs that were you know, great, you know, bizarre tales of, of life that he would sing about with, with orchestration behind him. And, um, and I found him a big influence on a couple of things I was doing on, on my new record. There's a track on, on, on the album in solo called in solo. And, uh, And I was trying, I used it as a bit of a template for the, uh, for the drama that I was trying to capture in the story in this song, you know, um, that and, uh, and, um, Richard Harris's, um, MacArthur Park, yeah. you know, you don't get many of those sort of songs around in pop music and, but, and, and Scott Walker has a lot, you know, 
Um, Missy, I'm going to look this up and I'm going to I'm going to um, see who did this string arrangement because the string arrangement is is so beautiful, uh, and the reason it's so beautiful is because it's sort of every note you can imagine in the solar system is being played by one of these string players at the same time. It's rain. He's made rain out of the orchestra and it's a rain curtain that is just covering up the background of it's, it's almost, if you're looking at, at, at Scott on a proscenium arch stage, I see this this string section as being an entire curtain that's hanging behind him. Um, um, you see, I start to look up. It's raining, and I get it's raining men, and that's not the track I'm looking for, is it? Uh, uh, and, and I just want to know who did that string arrangement. And I hope you don't mind me looking for this. Not on, at all. On, so talking. it's on. If I'm it's not on, mistaken, it's on Scott Three, three. isn't it? Yeah, it's like with the one with the eye on the, yeah. on the front and, and himself reflected in the eye. Um, and, and they call it Baroque pop. Wonderful. And that kind of sums it up. Yeah. Baroque and roll. <laughs> uh, and I've never quite seen. He slips genres, you see. This is the thing with um, with, with Scott Walker. He's, he's uh, you know, he's a bit like Anthony Newley, but, but a bit more interesting in a way, you know, a bit more edgy, mm. you know. And, and the Walker Brothers, I think they did an album... Um, sometime in the early 80s called Night Flight. And I think Eno then goes on to say that he thinks it's one of the greatest albums ever made. And it's quite an obscure little album. It's a bit more electronica involved in it. So the strings were arranged by Wally, Wally Stott. Uh, oh, no. he Yes. Yes, Wally Stott, um, who died in 2009. Uh, English composer and conductor who became a familiar household name to BBC radio listeners in the 1950s. Can't oh I see Wally Stott became Angela Morley. That can't be right. You're gonna have to edit this, aren't you, mate? That's fine. <laughs> Loving the journey. Uh, um, yeah, I think this is more interesting than we uh, we think it is. Um, uh, yes, I see. So Angela Morley uh, was born under the name of Walter Wally Stott. Wow. Well. Well, there we are. There's a whole story in there that's uh, <laughs> greater than the song, and I'm in, I'm going to explore that when we when we sign off. So we've done prog, we've done punk, we've done electronica, we've done uh, you know that that early kind of new wave sound, baroque and roll, baroque and roll. How do we fit yacht rock into this thing, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> I know I shouldn't have said this. I, 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 this is my latest record. That is uh, this one. This this one track on the album, which has a kind of, uh, you know, I said it's a homage to yacht rock. Uh, use the word homage, and then you kind of get away with it, rather than just saying it's yacht rock. Um, I suppose it acts like for me, yacht rock is the good bits of yacht rock are people like you know, Steely Dan or Todd Rundgren, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know. There's 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 a few other bands out there that that fit into that, but it's a kind of euphoria, a euphoric melody chord chord sequences style of rhythm that is very uplifting. It's joyous. And, uh, I mean, do you remember that song, "Baby, Come Back"? Do 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 do. Who is that by now? I can't think now. Just for a second, um, and. Um, and so joyous, yeah. And I'd sort of stumbled on these chords. And part of this album, my album, is 
is really about looking back on my life and trying to join the dots of these different people I am. There's a track on there called Waiting for the Band, which is about being a fan and and how that feeling has never left me. And there's one called I Remember You, which is about being a much stronger human being, uh, sharper of life, fleet of foot, you know, and how does how do I live with that now, you know, getting older, less time in front than behind. So there's a lot of slight self-reflection in the in the in the album. And then there's there's a couple of pop songs, which is what I like writing. And one of them was ahead of the game. And um, and I said, uh, you know, I said, that's probably my influence because I was looking back on a load of 70s albums that made my life, you know, whether it's for everything from ones we've been discussing to bands like 10CC, you know, and uh, um, the Winked Wings, who I love, you know, and, you know, I want to get my backing vocals to sound like this, you know, on this 70s record. So I just wanted to be able to make references as I listen back to my album and think that represents me growing up, you know, and the tastes that I had then. And so uh, along came out of the game and I, and I, and I, it's kind of yachty. <laughs> and the album's out June the 18th. Is that right? Yeah. You can pre-order now as you do nowadays. And uh, I'm really proud of it. You know, I did most of it in lockdown, but um, it's got some great players on there. Guy Pratt plays on there, uh, Richard Jones and The Feeling, uh, Roger Taylor from Queen, Ash Sohn, who plays on loads of, you know, Robbie and Adele tracks. Um, my brother plays a bit of bass, so I'm waiting for the band. And uh, and, and Toby Chapman uh, and I do keyboards and, and, and I play guitar. It's, uh, it's some of the, some of the song, it's lyric, really, it's some, an album I wrote lyric first pretty much and then and then built the music around it and it's have you always done that no i only do it when i'm writing for myself um i think writing for spando I, I did it once i did it on through the barricades but i i just felt i was this album i was drawn to by by writing lyrics trying to solve some problems that i had some thoughts that were concerning me some issues getting into and 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 i and and I try and put that down into verse, and then, uh, and then, and then, you know, there's a song in there called "Rumor of You," and and I had three tunes for it before I cho- chose the one that's finally on the album, and that's how it was kind of working for me. The, uh, this record, it's saying that I can't help but try and write hooks, you know. So yeah. it's not like it isn't a guy talking about his life uh, ending, leaning over an acoustic guitar. Yeah, it's quite uplifting as well, um, and. Uh, there you go. Wonderful. Um, so if people want to find out about everything that's happening in the world of Gary Kemp, where's the best place to, to, to keep up to speed uh, with you? It's GaryKemp.com or my Instagram. This is the place. I occasionally go on Twitter and put something up, but I, I pretty much hate Twitter because it's just the most depressing place in the world to be. It's a pretty bleak place. Remember that Monty Python thing? Is this the right room for an argument? <laughs> no, that is every day, right? So, um, but, uh, so Insta or, um, or yeah, yeah GaryKemp.com. Wonderful. Gary's been an absolute joy listening to you talk today. It's like, it's, it, you've made my, my job so easy. It was, uh, the, the way you described the songs was, was, was beautiful. And yeah, I can't thank you thank enough. You. Uh, you know, we both love music. That's why we're absolutely. here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks ever so much, Gary. Cheers, All the mate. best, mate. Cheers. There you go. Who'd have thought it? Spandau Ballet in my venue watching Depeche Mode. Oh, incredible. Um, just yeah great loved it absolutely loved it when uh i, I got the confirmation that, that, that gary was going to guest 
I was so happy. Um, and and it absolutely delivered. What what a talker. Um, such such passion, such love of music, and and it really come across in that conversation. Um, so huge thanks to Gary, and and thanks again to you lot for listening. If this is your first time listening then uh, why not go and explore the back catalogues um, because you can hear me chatting to artists such as the Foo Fighters, Tommy Lee of Motley Crue, Fatboy Slim. Um, if you like artists that kind of really stamped their name on the on the map in the 80s, then you can hear me talking to the likes of Andy McCluskey of OMD, uh, Martin Ware of Human League and um, Heaven 17. And go and have a rummage because there's 300 episodes now. So there's so many ace chats to be enjoyed. So go and get stuck in and uh, and I'll see you next time. Okay, thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, Stu Whipping. Hey, the podcast.